Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast episode 104. Today we are going to be going over Othala, which is a rune. But before we get into that, I wanted to remind everybody to feel free to check out my website, which you can find at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. There you can get the podcast and there's a couple other things. If you want to email me, feel free to do so. That's hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out Steve's book, which is at Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search Stephen Oaks. He's got a number of books there, actually. I have also put that in the show notes. So it's probably quickest to just go to the show notes and follow the links there. You can check out my book if you would like to. Also on Amazon, just search Byron Rogers Lightbringer. The show notes is in, or the link is in the show notes. So with all of that out of the way, Let's jump into this rune. And again, this is the Inspired By series, so not so much just going into great depth on the rune, but just sort of the things I think about of this rune. Also, we've only got two runes left, so I have to come up with a new series. I don't know what it's going to be yet. It could be like uh, sort of the same thing, but with the gods, so I quickly describe a particular god each episode, and then sort of say the things that they make me think of. Uh, so again, very much like this, of course, still informal. And the time frame is probably going to be about the same, as in however long these last is probably how long those will last. I don't time myself anymore. I used to do that, but I stopped because I feel like it made me stretch things that didn't need to be stretched. And then it just got boring. So that'll maybe what's coming next or maybe I'll go back through the Havamaw I've already done that but that was a really fun one that I enjoyed I don't know probably just quickly go over some of the gods it won't be all of them it won't be an exhaustive list but maybe go over a few of the gods sort of in the same way that I've gone over these it's kind of what I'm thinking so that's what's coming down the road but that's not where we are now we're at Othala which according to like the quick one word definition is sacred grove or family lands and if we look at this in this the whole grand scheme of the rune poems this looks like it's the part where you know in this last at you've sort of been talking about how you grow as an individual and what you do as an individual there's also i want to say a lot of controversy controversy is the wrong word but there's some disagreement over what the last two runes are does it go othella dagus or dagus othella both of them kind of make sense in context um i like othella being where it is because like you so sort of you've done all this stuff like as a person it's sort of the the individual journey and then the second to the last thing you do is sort of get ready to pass something on yourself you get your inheritance in order and you give something to your children and then dagus or the new day or the rebirth type thing happens so like you get your affairs in order you leave something behind which sort of can sound like what you do when you die and then after that you're reborn into another realm now if you flop flipped them that would actually also kind of work really well because 
you would have the rebirth into the other realm, and then you would have left something behind the family grounds or sacred grounds. I just like it this way better. The way I read it, it makes more sense. But I'm not going to say anybody's wrong who says it goes the other way. And I do believe that there are rune poems, or I mean these, these rune stones where we see the Elder Futhark, which is the one I usually study, we've seen them transposed. We've seen them going both ways. So it's, we really don't know in which order it goes, except what you think. There's another reason that I think this way makes more sense, but it's complicated and might be wrong, so I'm not going to go into it. Um, I like Othila being second to the last room and Dagus being the last room. But Othala, to me anyway, is all about family lands and sacred groves. Now, we don't exactly have sacred groves in the way that we used to. And by we don't exactly have sacred groves in the way we used to, I mean we don't have sacred groves in the way we used to at all. It, it used to be that there would be sacred places that you could go to do magical acts, ceremonies, rituals, stuff like that. We simply don't have that anymore. And my understanding is they were like, generally speaking, generally speaking they were in the forest. It would be like a grove of trees that was like magically powerful and a good place to connect to the gods and all this other stuff. We don't have that. Let's not say that we do. We have some things that are fill, fill the same purpose, I guess. Um, if you're doing bloats or rituals of any sort, no, if you're doing bloats and if that's with a group of people or if that's by yourself, if you're doing blows to the gods, uh, probably you do it in the same place or the same couple places every time and you probably do an opening to make it sacred and a closing to return it to common ground. So in that sense you sort of have a place that becomes sacred over time. Um, so that's part of what this rune is about and this is part of about like family lands and lands being passed down from generation to generation. We have a small bit of it when we go to visit our parents. Um, I think most of us, if we're lucky, this isn't this isn't always the case. But for a lot of us, our parents still live in the house that we grew up in, and that's something neat and that's something fun where you get to go to the house that you grew up in because it's a way that you connect to the past. I guess you don't spend. It's, it's special because it is a place that you grew up, I think. Um, and that's kind kind of what this is, the idea of sacred grounds. Um, what it really would be is like if you grew up in a certain place, you grew up in a house or whatever, and then your parents have you inherit that house, and then you move back to it. And then your kids inherit that house, and that idea of family lands... Now, the further back that goes, the cooler. You know, if it's been in your house for seven generations, that's, that's really cool. Most of us aren't going to have that. But even if you've got, like, the family house, the house that's been in the uh, family for four generations or three generations or even two generations, I think that's cool because we're connected to our family, right? Spiritually and all of this other stuff. But it's, it's really neat to ground that in something physical and be like, this is physically 
the house that I grew up in. This is physically the house that my parents or my grandparents bought and then passed down to me. So I've got I've got a physical connection to my parents or my grandparents, even though they've passed away. And my parents, fortunately, have not yet passed away. But when they do, it's like I have this physical connection to them. This is actually the land that they grew up on. And it would be really cool to have that in the family still. And I think there's... How do I put it? I think there's something special about land like actual land there's a connection that i believe you have to the land that you live on just by living on it just by you know working with the land whites there working with the elves there and just working with like the spirit of that land you kind of get connected to it so if you've got something where your family is connected to it because your parents worked it and then you worked it that's really that's really a neat thing but also, it's, it's kind of a bummer that we don't, we don't really do that very much anymore. I don't live in my parents' house anymore. I've moved out to my, old, to my own house. My brother and sister have done the same thing. They have moved on to their old houses. Or, I mean, they have moved on to their own houses. They're not, they're not going to move back to our parents' house, even when our parents do... Um, pass away and even if our parents even if my parents left that house to me like in the will or whatever I don't know if I go back and live there or not probably not because it's a nice house it's a really cool house and I've there's a lot of good memories but there's reasons that I left the house the main one is the school systems in my case I'm not going to take the kids back there because I don't think it's a great school system and I'm not going to tell you where I live because I just dissed the school system there. Where I live now has a really nice school system and I, I don't want to go to that house and have the crappy school system. So I'm probably not going to go back. I know my sister, her and her husband, has spent a huge amount of time fixing up the house that they live in and it's very similar to my parents' house, ironically. Um, but it's one of these, like, older turn-of-the-century houses, and it, it, was, it was in bad shape when they moved in. Now it's super nice. They've done a lot of work, and they feel connected to that house. So they're never... They're not going to go to my parents' house. And then my brother's moved out of state, so he can't realistically... And he moved to a state that he wants to stay in. So he's probably not going to come back and live in that house. I mean, if any of us were going to, it would be him. But it, it, it's, it's unlikely... I mean, it'd be really cool if he did, but it's unlikely that's going to happen just because he's moved on with his life and, and he lives in a different state now. So, like, what's going to happen to that house when my parents die? Well, probably get sold to somebody else. And that's kind of sad because it used to be that you would pass these farms down or these houses down and they would stay in the same family oftentimes for generations and I think you really felt something it's just people leave something behind like people leave a part of themselves behind when they live in an area so long I don't know I, I, I think that's true not like not like their soul is trapped in the ground that's dark that's not what I'm getting at but like they leave an impression of themselves behind on the land that they lived on for so long and it'd be really nice if their family could like benefit from that and enjoy the comfort of 
And I don't know, I'm not even saying met something metaphysical necessarily. I'm, it, it could be as simple as there's memories of your mom or your dad or your grandparents or whatever in this house that you grew up in. And it'd be nice to be around that and just like have this closer connection to your family history, which I think a lot of us don't have. And it's really hard to have that connection. So anyway, I think that's enough about family lands as in actually inheriting land from your family. Again, I wish there was something that we could do more than we do, but it does not really seem to be popular anymore. Oh, also I wanted to say that's very American perspective, obviously, because that's where I live. Things might be different in other countries, even in other states, I suppose. Um, so if you have any experience, let me know. Like, does anybody out there live in a house that's been in the family for three generations? Does that even happen anymore now i know my house obviously i'm the first generation of my family in it and my parents were the first generation in their house they didn't live in their parents house my grandparents were the first generation in their house is there anybody who has in recent history like a house that stayed in the family for three generations let me know just because i'm curious super I think it's super cool to like have stuff stay in the family, but just these days it just, it doesn't seem to so much. So the other thing that I kind of think about, um, when we're talking about Othala, family lands was part of it, right? And the other part of it was Sacred Grove. And again, I think that has a lot to do with just this idea that there is a connection that you can have with the land and to the land. Um, and I think one place that we do kind of have it is in our bloats, regardless of where you do your bloats or how long you've done your bloats. If you've been doing them for any significant amount of time, you know, a year, even less than that, pro probably a year, I think that you start having a connection to that land. And it's probably most obvious in the sense that, like, when you go to this place or that place, you subconsciously feel like it's ready to, you're ready to have blood. So like there's, and I think I've talked about this before, but it's this, this idea that even on a subconscious ready, you're like getting ready to do bloat. They, they study this a lot in psychology where like you should, like same setting stuff. I forget what it's called, but it's like you should study for the test in the same way that you're going to take the test, for example. But the idea is if you do something in the same way or in the same place or in the same environment, then it helps you kind of like cognitively connect them together. So if your bloat always takes place at location A, Every time you go to location A, you start to get in the mood for bloat without even having to do any actual work for it. It's just naturally your body thinks, oh, it's time to do bloat, so you start to get ready. So that's good. Also, if place A is, let's say, in your house, maybe not a place you spend all your time, but it, at least in your house, it'd be cool because every time you pass it, it like subtly reminds you of bloat and then kind of like brings the religious aspects of your life into the everyday aspect of your life because this is a huge question and i think this is a legit like really hard one um on one hand you want to quote unquote live your religion so like if you're also true 
but you go around lying and murdering people, you're not a very good ostrich because you're not living your religion. You're you're only thinking about the gods and and your morals when you're at bloat, and that's not right. But on the other hand, you don't want bloat to be so informal that it just feels like regular everyday life. You know, you don't go up there and be like, hey gods, what's going on? You want to play some Sekiro today? I got really good at that game. Watch this. I mean, you don't do that. You don't want it to be that every day, if you will. Bloat has to be special, and it has to be sacred. But also, you don't want regular life and religious life to be completely divorced from one another, where they don't interplay, and your regular life is completely separate from your religious life. Because then, like, what is religion giving to you? What are you getting out of it? How is it making your life better? So there's always this really hard balance of you want bloat to feel like it's real, as in it's really part of your everyday life and your living bloat. So in that way, you don't want it to be too separate from everyday life because then it seems alien and hard to connect in that way. But on the other hand, you want it to feel special because if it doesn't feel special, you're not going to put the effort in to connect it. So it's like hitting that balance is, um, I think hitting that balance is really tricky. Um, one of the ways that, that, I mean, I think is helpful is, you know, you, so you, you, I don't know, this brings up all sorts of different things that maybe I don't want this topic this day to get into, but maybe I'll do them a little bit. So I, I just feel like it is definitely about a balance. So on the extreme hand, I think that you could really make bloat unapproachable by having maybe too many rules for it. Like you have to dress in a certain way, you have to talk in a certain way, everything's very formulaic and you're not allowed to stray from that. You're not allowed to talk about things that you want to talk about. All of that stuff where it becomes very much a rote process and you're not allowed to insert yourself into that process, I think becomes too detached from you and then it feels like you're just playing a part if you will you're going through the motions because you're not allowed to make it more personal that would be too detached but then on the other hand if you're not even taking the time to call the gods down and call it a real bloat and you're just like sitting around your table being like oh gods are cool right let's drink some mead that's too far the other way where you're not taking it seriously enough so I think that balance is really tricky, I think. But I think that one of the things that really helps, can really help with hitting that balance and especially making it feel sacred but not unapproachable is the whole idea of like we do the bloat in the same place every day. Like this is the place that we do bloat. So you know when you're moving into that place and moving into that space that it's time to bloat. I'm not going to talk about frivolous stuff so much here. I'm going to talk about a little more personal stuff um i'm going to speak more respectfully here because this is like we're doing bloat and it's for the god so we're going to be a little more a little more respectful because we're moving into this place and i think like a physical space to have a barrier between everyday life and bloat is something that can be really helpful and i think that's part of the whole sacred grove part of this room and i think that's something that's just like useful there's all sorts of ways where we want to 
say like this is bloat and this is not bloat. We need these like demarcation criteria to say we're doing two different things here. But also we want to say, but it's the same me doing the two different things. It's me having my everyday life, but it's also me doing bloat and it's me connecting to the gods and you don't want to make it seem like something alien to yourself or too foreign. So you don't want to act in a completely different way. You want to act like yourself. But I mean, I guess I guess that maybe that's a better way to put it is because you have a special space for bloat, that's what makes it different and special. So you can still act like yourself at bloat, but because you have a special space, there's still a demarcation between regular life and bloat life, if you will, which can be really useful. So you don't have to act differently, making it seem alien and like you pretending or not being the real you because you were doing it in a special place and that's the demarcation instead. So anyway, I think there's an awful lot of reasons that like a special place to do ritual of any sort really is important. Um, One of them being this is something special and it's physically marking a difference between the special and the everyday, and then another big one being like, subconsciously your mind's like, oh, we're going to the bloat place, it's time to do bloat, and then you get in that mood faster, which is really important. And also I think it's respectful to, you know, you sort of tell the gods, like, this is where we are, this is the familiar territory. Um, That seems respectful that you always do it in the same place, and you're not asking them, sort of, to move about so much. But again, the big thing, the big thing about ritual is always like everything stays the same. That all all of the things that are like we know what to expect mentally. Like our minds are used just enough, like, well, I have to go to the space and I have to say the words. Your minds are used just enough to make you not think actively, but not so much right, your minds are used just enough to to stop your mind from wandering because you have to think about the things you're doing, but not so much that you're really using your deep concentration. And then that sort of like opens up the back of your mind, if you will, so you're more receptive to like the ritual and the gods and all of that stuff. Uh, Anyway, I think the whole like to, I think that the sacred spaces is something that's really important. And that that is one that I think um, everyone can have. We might not have the sacred groves like our ancestors did where, you know, it had been in the family for generations, but nonetheless, we can have a special place and a place that we do bloat and a place that is set aside for the religious side of life. And I, I think that can be really, I think that can be really good. And I think that can be really helpful for us. So, I like sacred spaces, and I like family lands, and I like things being inherited, and I like all of that stuff, but, but yeah, some of it's, some of it is harder to have than others, but the one thing we can do, I think, is to have a sacred space, so, I mean, that's really important, I think that's, that's good. I also think that I'm going to wrap up here again because if I say any, I think I've said what I want to say and I'm just going to start being repetitive. So I'll wrap up here, but the final thoughts are just that I think that sacred, that family lands and sacred spaces are important things that we should still have as much as as possible. So I think I'll leave it there.
Thank you, everyone, for listening. I will talk to you next month. In the meantime, if you want to check out my website, please feel free to do so. You can find that at hugenhoff.org. That's H-E-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. You can find that email address on the website and check out the links for cool stuff like Steve's books and my books. Oh, and the rune poems, because that link's in there. All right, I will talk to everyone next month. Frahel. <laughs>